Welcome to the DST podcast where we discuss issues that are relevant in our Indian context from both a theological and a practical perspective. Here's your host for today, Arvind Balaram. Hi everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Delhi School of Theology podcast. And the topic of today's podcast is a very interesting one that we all struggle with and uh, have questions about in, in different ways. The, the topic is theology and culture. Theology and culture. We know that we live in a culture. It's all around us at the same time. As Christians in India, we're also aware. Most of us are a religious minority where we are. The culture around us also often has very different values. It has different perspectives than we do. So there can be a tendency for us as Christians in India to stand a little aloof from the culture, but then at the same time, we want to reach the culture. We want to see the culture changing, but then in order to do that, we need to be involved in the culture, but then we wonder, should should we be more involved? Should we stand against it? Should we oppose it? And then, of course, the, another issue is that we see good things. We see beautiful things in the culture, too. We wonder what to do with those things. But then there's the culture of the church itself, which, at least in, in our context here in Delhi, often can be quite westernized. And we wonder sometimes if the church should look a little bit, uh, should it feel a little more Indian, Again, whatever that means exactly. Uh, so these are just a few of the questions. And, you know, we can just multiply the kinds of issues and, and questions that, that, that we come across in our own minds as we think about what it really means to be faithful, to be fruitful <clears throat> as followers <clears throat> as of Jesus Christ um, in India. And so you may not be able to get to all of these questions today, unfortunately, but to give us a little bit of the big picture in all of these things as we try to untangle this mess often of theology and culture, we have a very special guest with us today that is Dr. Nigel Ajay Kumar. And so thank you, Nigel, for being with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to help us think through some of these issues. Yeah, thanks, Arvind. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about Nigel. He was, until recently, a teacher of theology and ethics at SIAX in Bangalore. But now he is a writer. He's an educational consultant. He has a background in film journalism, print and online publishing, also songwriting. That's interesting. Um, Nigel aspires to help the church to not only better understand the Bible and theology, but also to engage more effectively with the ground realities of religion and Indian culture. And what he's doing right now is currently designing basic Bible curriculum for grassroots Christian pastors and lay people. He's also uh, a good friend of Delhi School of Theology. He's taught many times. In fact, he teaches uh, pretty much every year with us in, in various capacities, uh, both in our master's program as well as our one-year certificate course, which we call Leadership Core. And so again, great to have Nigel uh, here with us. And so let me begin uh, by asking you, Nigel, uh, a little bit more of a, a personal question. 
Uh, one of the interesting things on your resume is that you worked with Filmfare magazine, <laughs> and that is uh, unusual to say the least for a theology professor. Uh, so just tell, tell us a little bit about that. How did you get into that? How did you enjoy that? And um, also, how does that experience of working with Filmfare affect how you approach theology, uh, think about theology uh, today? Uh, okay, hi, hi, Evan. Then uh, just that's a very big question. I, let me just briefly say that Filmfare was my first job. So I just got out of college. And I was looking for any job in Bombay. And uh, I got an interview in Times of India, uh, which owns Filmfare. And Times of India said, uh, let's look at your work. And I basically failed the interview. I was so bad in editing and writing. And they said, OK, we can take you as a trainee. And I was like, oh, OK, that's, that's fine. But then the editor of uh, Filmfare uh, thought that I was also going to meet him. And so he called me later and then said that, oh, uh, can you come for an interview, which I went. And he said, do you know Hollywood movies? And I said, yeah, I, I know Hollywood movies because I'd seen foreign films. So it turned out at that time in Filmfare, they didn't have anybody who knew Hollywood films. They knew Hindi movies, but they didn't know Hollywood films. And they were trying to come up with a book on Hollywood films. And at least I strengthened that aspect of their work. So just because I knew Hollywood films, I was taken into Filmfare. And I must say that our, the, the team there, especially the editor and my colleagues, were some of the best people I got to know. They were really amazing people. And they really strengthened me, especially the editor, the, uh, really challenged me, helped me improve. And uh, I really grew uh, in those three years that I was there in Filmfare. So it was an amazing and perhaps one of the most formative experiences of my life, especially professionally. I, I would say, however, that after being there for three years, and I, I was actually, I knew I was going to be there only for three years. I felt that I wanted to do a little bit more with what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't want to be writing about film stars or celebrities all my life. So I knew that was an important phase and I really appreciated that journey. But at the same time, I'm, I, I knew that that's not what I want to invest my life in. So it was really good as a first job. It gave me a lot of exposure and trained me as a writer and a creative thinker. But at the same time, uh, I, I'm glad that I'm no longer there just because I'm glad of what I was doing. I, I, I'm glad that the Lord called me towards theology, uh, theological education, and that's where I've been investing all my life so far. Hmm. Yeah. So is, is that, do you think, played a role in uh, your interest in theology and culture? Uh, I mean, in a, in a way, yes, but uh, more than that, my parents have been um, in the film industry long before. So my father is a filmmaker, made oh. television movies, even movies. My mother was, was in an ad agency uh, working with uh, film stars like, you know, those Lux shoots with Ashwarya Rai, Juhi Chawla and all that uh, uh, with ads. And then my sister uh, has been a film editor, TV producer. So... I come from a movie world. My family is very much involved in movies and we never saw that as a contradiction between faith and what we were doing as a profession. 
It's just that I became the black sheep of the family and moved to theology, pure full-time ministry, as they call it. I mean, they all my my family was all into integrated ministry, living in the world and being a Christian in the world. But I said, no, the Lord is calling me to fully devote my life to God and theological education. So that's that's why I shifted. So it was never a problem for me. Uh, I I actually, but I really appreciated the focus that I got with theological education, like devoting my entire life for that. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. Good to know a little bit about your background. Um, so let's get into this uh, theology and culture topic. So, you know, in most people's minds, these are two very different things. Theology on the one hand, culture and all those related uh, things on, on the other hand. So can you just help us, first of all, just what do we mean by culture, by theology? How do you even begin to relate these two things together? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to try. I hope uh, I don't go into teaching mode, which is what I is. That's very dangerous if I start going to teaching mode, okay. because I have a whole class, as you know, where I teach these sub this subject, and I go through the definition of culture, the definition of theology. But let's assume I was talking to the church. What what do we mean? Mm. And uh, cu culture. Uh, this culture refers to what uh, what we can see around us the society the 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 social actions the habits the things that are repeated around us every day so how we drive the language that we use the food that we like the the clothes that we wear even our history is all part of our culture now culture that is what we call the visible as aspects of culture but there's also another aspect of culture, which is the invisible aspect of culture, which is the worldview, the beliefs, the values. So just think about yourself, like you in the, uh, or ourselves, we can think about, like we in India have a certain way of thinking, like we like certain things and we don't like certain things. Uh, we prefer uh, uh, certain foods and we don't prefer certain foods. But why? Why do we do that? And and for instance, when we go into culture, uh, what does this, what? How do we treat our men? How do we treat our women? How do we treat people from a lower class? How do we tend to treat people from a higher class? What is our preference? So are there some people that we like and some people that we don't like? These worldviews, these biases, are also part of our culture, and. One person might say, oh, I'm not, uh, I'm not influenced by that. But there'll be something that we are influenced by. So the hiddenness of culture are our beliefs and values. And the visibleness of culture are the things that we see around us. Like how we grew, how we drive, how we walk, uh, how, even, how we, even how we talk, our accents uh, is all part of culture. And the visible is often, and most of this is unavoidable. We cannot avoid it. We cannot run away from it. We are always part of a culture. And I liked what you started off by saying our churches have a culture. So yes, our churches have a culture. You know, I mean, it was very interesting. I In some churches, they have food, uh, uh, like snacks after the service. Some churches have snacks before the service. In Delhi, I heard there's a church that offers snacks during the service. Oh. So it's like, so it's very interesting. There are different parts of culture. There's no verse in the Bible said, thou shalt have snacks at this time. So we develop a culture, a way of doing things. Sim similarly, we've heard of corporate culture and our family culture. This is what we do as a family. So culture is all around us and we cannot escape it, but there's a visibleness and a hiddenness to culture. 
Similarly, in theology, and this is where theology is helpful. Theology is the is usually something hidden. It's my belief. It's my value. It's what I think about God. So when somebody says, uh, "What is your theology?" We'll talk about it almost like something that I hold on to. However, the Lord calls us to express our theology in action. So it's not simply love one another, but love through action. So don't just have an emotion and sit to keep it inside, but do something. So many of us keep our theology hidden and it's inside. Our faith is just what I know. Nobody else knows. But we are called to be salt and light. So we are called to express our theology in action. And that expression, that living out, is where theology starts living in the culture. So in the world, we start living in the world. So yes, our theology is all hidden and protected and inside, but the moment we express it in our language, the moment we communicate it through works and actions, we start living in culture. It starts mixing and matching. And that's where the engagement happens. So the mm. culture is what is around us, but theology stays hidden, but we are expected to take it out in culture. And so that's the that's how I see that theology is something that we can say, oh, it comes from God, like God teaches us what we must believe through the Bible. We may say all that, but ultimately we are called to live out our theology every day. And in that process, we are in the cultural world. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I... I, maybe I'll let you interrupt because I could just go on and on. Uh, yeah. Within this, I know I could clarify a bit more, but does this answer uh, begin to answer a little bit of what you're asking? Yeah. And I think just to kind of get at some of these, this connection between uh, Bible, theology, culture, you know, I, I've heard many people over the years uh, kind of assume culture on the one hand is bad hmm. and that's the world, you know, and the Bible talks about those kinds of things. On the other hand, you have Bible, theology, church, and our faith. You know, this is good. And mm -hmm. some people say that, you know, the, the culture, it shouldn't affect us, that we should be as Christians, we should just follow the Bible. You know, we should have a quote-unquote biblical culture, biblical culture maybe, or, or sort of be acultural, non-cultural. So how do you respond to that kind of uh, uh, an assumption yeah, how would you, yeah. What would you say? Yeah, so one of the things that I try to even tell the church that I attend, uh, and I try, try so, so this is like common, something that we try to do, is that the Bible is a cultural document. Now, I'm not trying to say the Bible is bad. I'm trying to say that the Bible is written in, in language. It is written in Hebrew, and it's written in Greek, and it gets translated in our local languages, in Hindi, in Marathi, and the Bible comes to us as a cultural document. You, if you take culture out of the Bible, the Bible ceases to exist. It's written. It's written out. Hmm. It mentions things. And what we see very interestingly is like it's written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and then shifts to Greek. Why did that means even cultures change, even cultures grow and, and the Lord communicates his word through the culture of the time. So that time the Hebrew people spoke Hebrew. But by the New Testament time, the Hebrew people and the Gentile people were speaking Greek. And so the Bible is written in that language. And so what we see in the Bible is language and and a lot, and once we go even deeper, we'll see a lot more culture. Like, for instance, how Abraham and Isaac and Jacob worshipped the Lord by setting up stones and uh, or or pillars or not pillars, but you know that this their way of worshiping God is very different from, let's say, Hebrew people 400 years, 500 years later. 
So that means they were worshipping God in a way they knew and it was appropriate for their culture of setting up these stones. Today we don't set up stones and we don't do that because we are in line with how the Lord has been teaching us today. So I mean, but that's something that I do. I try to help people to recognize that the Bible has culture and the Bible emerges in culture and the Bible is a cultural document. But but there is an aspect where, in, especially in the New Testament, we see the Lord telling us and the, we see the Bible telling us to uh, beware of the world, uh, do not love the world, do not conform to the world. And so that aspect is also there. So the way that I tell my church is that, yes, okay, first let's assume that the Bible is a cultural document and culture is all part of us. However, when we come to the hiddenness of culture, especially its worldviews and beliefs, that's where we find that sometimes there's something messed up there. Sometimes the beliefs that are influencing the culture are wrong. Sometimes the values are wrong. One classic case in India would be the way we treat men, boy children better than girl children. That's part of our Indian culture. And that's so when, when somebody gets, has a boy, they'll give a, a laddu. And if you have a girl, then they give a peda. So uh, so these, these things are cultural things that you can see, not everybody in India, but you can see these cultural things. So what is the belief that some people think that men are better? So the Bible can correct that part of culture and uh, challenge us to say that in Jesus, everybody is equal. There's neither male nor female in, in Christ. We are created in God's image, equal. So men and women are equal, of equal value in the world. So that's one way where the Bible or theology helps us challenge the culture. Yes, what we see around us is very common, but the beliefs and values sometimes can be confronted by scripture, by our theology, and that's where engagement can take place. Okay, so um, yeah, just to again clarify that point. Um, so, is it is it possible to have a sort of sort of purely biblical culture in our churches? Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I I I, th I think many churches try to do that. They try to have a purely biblical culture, but. I find that that's almost impossible. I mean, like I can, I don't, I don't know every church in the world. I don't know whether anybody has achieved it. But from my experience, I've always seen uh, the uh, any church sort of bringing their own culture or their own worldviews or their own thinking into the, how they interpret biblical culture. So uh, the Bible is actually quite, quite an amazing book that has a variety of histories, has a variety of uh, uh, emphasis. And some people emphasize the Old Testament more. Some people emphasize the Acts, just the New Testament, especially the Acts more. Some people emphasize Paul more. And, and so what we find is even when we call biblical churches, they tend to take one or two aspects and they highlight that rather than the Bible like from Genesis to Revelation. So this is just to say that, yes, people try to have a pure biblical church, but they end up reflecting something from their own culture, their own traditions, their own churches, their own theological traditions. And, and so that's one thing that I, I would say that's very hard to actually see a pure biblical church. But technically, it's impossible because it's impossible to have a church without language. 
and which language are you going to do some people say god that malayalam is the language of the gods <laughs> so but that, but we know that's not true it's hindi no no i'm just joking <laughs> no i'm just saying that that ultimately one language and when the moment you express um, a, a church in a language you're located in a culture the moment you uh, you dress in a certain way you're located in a culture the moment your group of people who come to the church are a certain socio economic group then you are a certain culture so culture is already around us already surrounding us in such a strong way that we uh, cannot escape it so they can be never be a pure a uh, pure uh, thing maybe in heaven we can think of it like that but even there i don't know but mm-hmm. certainly on earth every church has culture every church is embedded in a culture we may want to distinguish ourselves from our neighboring cultures so i may not like the culture of my neighbors but in doing so i may align myself with the culture of somebody else or i may create my own culture i may create some own hybrid but it will still be culture and so we can never escape culture and the best for us to do is actually how do we col- how do we work with in some cases we oppose in some cases we collaborate or work with and some places we actually make something beautiful through the culture mm. so there there are many options before us rather than saying oh purely we want without culture we can respond differently at different at different times to the cultures that are around us mm. is how i usually say Right. Okay. So that's uh, very helpful. So on the one hand, if we want to do something in culture or in the in the you know in the world, then we need to understand culture. We also need to be sort of introspective or understand ourselves and how uh, culture is affecting us uh, as a church. Okay. I think that's um, really helpful. So you know, just another question that maybe I, I get on the a little bit more on the personal side. You know, I know that you're very passionate about theology and culture, the intersection of these things. Why why do you you know, why are you so passionate about it? What do you see as uh the value of it or the need in our in in your context or in our context um today? Yeah, so one rather than giving myself any props and saying, "Oh, see, I'm such an amazing person." You already know a little bit about my history to see that I come from a family that is very much embedded in the movie scene or the television scene in India. So, my influences are there already that my my world made me who I am. So, when I saw my parents, I saw that engaging with culture is an important part of who I am. I need to think about who is my god. and what is my culture so that's one thing that i already that is where i've learned but uh, but also in the college that where i studied at saax in bangalore they made this a very important issue mm. identifying indian culture indian traditions understanding our indian past understanding our indian christian history uh, understanding history per se i mean it was a very important part of my theological training as well and through that exposure and doing a lot of my advanced theological journeys in history understanding indian history and understanding indian culture i found that we really need a bit more understanding of culture and theology mm-hmm. that's so it was that my journey so obviously one was my parents but also my theological education that made these issues very important for me and i realized that yes this is something that the church does need and that's why i'm passionate about it today yeah and we're glad that you are um so i know that 
it's an important issue. It's one that you know often doesn't get talked about. With, although, like we've talked about already, it's kind of there always. But you know, to bring it to the forefront and actually, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about it. Let's see what is going on here. Um, I think you do that really, really well. At least for our uh, Delhi School of Theology students, I know the students love your classes uh, because this is stuff that they again we we wrestle with, we think about, and it's kind of there around, but we don't really you know have that focus often. So uh, I know they appreciate that. Um, so one of the things that you do in your classes, I know with with DST, is that you talk about uh, the various ways in the that people in the past and, and even today approach this issue of culture and theology. Maybe they don't even realize it, uh, but they approach this issue of culture and theology in, in particular ways. And, uh, you know, you've, you've kind of set up a very uh, helpful sort of uh, way of thinking about the, the various ways that people have approached uh, culture and theology and so can you just, you know, not not getting into the whole, you know, the lectures of all that, because I know you spend quite a bit of time in some of the classes developing all of those approaches and uh, analyzing them and so on. But uh, can you just very briefly describe that uh, for our podcast listeners today? And, and, and where do you kind of situate yourself in that kind of spectrum? Okay, okay. Yeah, so spectrum is the right word. So what I find is that rather than criticize people for, oh, you have compromised with culture, or you are not listening to culture, we basically try to understand different Christians and different churches. So they, So what I found was there are at least four different uh, spectrums. I mean, there are, you can say there are thousand, but just for, the, for simplicity's sake, there are four. So on one side of the spectrum, there are Christians who want to be pure Bible, pure God's word, pure, uh, I want to just listen to God. And they say no to culture. They'll say, I don't want any influence on culture. They will have some influence in culture. They may not be aware of it, but they are very strongly believing that we want to be biblical. So I call this cultural uh, theology and culture zero. Like that. I call it CT zero. Like that's just my uh, sign. That, uh, But basically, zero culture. That That's what they aspire to. Not that they achieve it, they aspire for it. On the other side, we have Christians who given to culture a lot they are they are almost like they want to follow the latest culture trends they want to be relevant in the culture and in that process they let go of the bible a lot they compromise a lot on what the bible is saying mm -hmm. saying that we need to be updated we need to be modern we need to speak the language of our times and they sort of move away from biblical language or theological language and they start taking on the language of the world. So there are two extremes. One is, no, there's no culture, pure. And, and the other one is, no, we need to be uh, work with our times. The Bible is an old document that needs to be adapted to our world. So with these two extremes and with these two either side, I say, okay, for us as regular church-going, Bible-believing, uh, wanting to share our faith with other kind of Christians, what are the options? Obviously, these two extremes I put as as something that I don't want our people to have. These two are extremes. One is blind to uh, the culture and one is blind to faith. So in the middle, I say that generally the most traditional way, uh, but it still requires a lot of help, is the way of CT1, which is what in technical terms is called contextualization, where you take 
the gospel that you know. You take God's word and you adapt it to the people who you are communicating it to. So that means you need to know your culture. That means you need to understand your culture, especially the culture you want to communicate the gospel to. So if some the people who you are bringing the gospel to speak Hindi, then you need to take your gospel in Hindi. If the people are speaking Punjabi, then you need to bring the gospel in Punjabi. That's the thing. You take your gospel and adapt it into the language and thinking and behaviors of the people, which is the uh, way of taking God's word into the people. And the principle that governs this is, uh, is the incarnation. Jesus becomes human being. Jesus becomes a man. He becomes a Jewish man in history and he responds to history. So if God was just speaking God language, we would not understand. So God sent his son into the world and Jesus speaks our language, looks like us, so that we could recognize him and accept him, understand his word. Of course, for that, we also need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand who Jesus is. And that's a, a separate theological discussion. But basically, the idea is that Jesus is looking and he looks like one of us. And he still communicates God's word purely. Mm. That idea is the incarnation. And that's what we are called to do as a church, contextualization. Take God's word purely into a generation in a way that the world will recognize it, the world will see it and be able to understand it. So that's a CT1. Now that is a, so I usually say, if you just learn this, it's fine, it's enough. You don't need to learn anything more. But there is another thing that I call CT2, which is a little bit more controversial, where I say that actually your understanding of the gospel may be incorrect. And nobody likes to know that they are wrong. But in a classroom setup, it's quite safe because in, the, in a classroom, students are wanting to learn. Students want to grow. So there you challenge them about their limitations, how they misunderstand the Bible or their misunderstandings of theology. And I say that, look, just think about yourself. Like 20 years before, what did you believe about God? And now what do you believe about God? Hopefully there's a growth. Hopefully there's a change. And that's what we call the change in our theology, where we grow. God does not change, but we change. We need to grow. So as we grow, as we learn, we need to do rethinking. So earlier word, CT1 was contextualization. CT2 is rethinking, where we think about our faith. We look at our culture around us. We look at the world around us and we say, how is it challenging our faith? How is it challenging my beliefs? Are there some things that are wrong in my belief? Are there some things that are wrong in the way that I think? So uh, that idea of how uh, we get challenged, we improve, there we uh, I also say that that's also an option for the church to rethink, to at least ex uh, understand where we are on the right track and wrong track. And I do a lot of Bible studies to show how we sometimes misunderstand the very words of God that are in front of us because we are blinded by our church orientation. We are so influenced by our thinking that we fail to see that our thinking has blinded us from God's word. So if we can rethink, if we can look at God's word in a way that will say that, okay, Lord, show me again. I'm willing to see. We start seeing the word of God in a more richer, fuller way that challenges us to say, oh man, I was so foolish to think about this about God. I now understand this about God, where I grow in my knowledge. So rethinking is where culture influences us in a positive way. Contextualization is where we bring the gospel to others. Rethinking is where the culture and the world around us 
challenges us to rethink. We may still say, oh, no, I want to hold on purely to the gospel. But the idea is that we do do rethinking. My view of the gospel may be wrong. My understanding from my church may be incorrect or not fully correct. So as I aspire towards perfect knowledge, as I aspire to know God more and more, I realize that my previous knowledge needed to be rethought and to be improved. Mm-hmm. So that's what I usually teach, the CT1, CT2, CT3. Uh, and then CT0, 1, 2, and then CTX. X means there's no Bible. It's almost only culture. So I usually do this spectrum, and that's it's quite interesting when we ask where people are. And the answer, I usually say, is it's not like one is better and one is worse, CT1 or CT2. And usually, in some cases, we find ourselves in CT1. In some cases, we find ourselves in CT2. But at least we should be willing to go to CT2 as well, even if once a year, Sometimes spend some time rethinking. Even if most of your life you want to spend bringing the gospel to others, that's okay. But also challenge yourself. Are you on the right track? Are you misunderstanding? And that rethinking is an important process through the history of Christianity, but it should also be part of our own spiritual journey. Okay, good. Yeah, I think that's very, very helpful just the way that you you set that up and describe it. Uh, in fact, our, just to let our listeners know, we're going to have uh, a whole episode in this podcast on what you call CT1, which is the contextualization piece. And so we'll we'll kind of do a deep dive into that and, and what does that look like and why is that important and so on. Uh, but just, just maybe one follow-up question on CT2. Can you just give us, uh, you know, one example just really briefly of how this rethinking, uh, you know, maybe something that you have uh, rethought uh, especially in terms of engagement with uh, with culture or around you or something that was received that was rethought or you know just just to give us an idea of what you're talking about I think when we when we as you said it can be potentially controversial you talk about re rethinking theology and you know we say that that's kind of a a frozen thing maybe from that's been passed down through the ages and so on so yeah just maybe just flesh that out with one quick example Okay, uh, so now I, I'm I'm scared to give an example because what I use in the class. So if any DST students are watching this, they'll say, "Oh yeah, okay." Or they say, "Oh, now I don't need to attend the class." <laughs> but let me take one one simple example. In uh, uh, the, now, actually, I'm forgetting the thing. Is this Psalm 46 that uh, where be still and know that yeah. I am God? Is that yeah. is that there? So that's one of the classic ways where I teach people about how our gospel needs to improve. So I usually take Psalm 46 and I say, where does this word come from? Be still and know that what I am God. What does it mean to you? How would you understand it? And most people, in my understanding, I'd, uh, look at be still and know that I'm God, where the Lord is asking me to be quiet, still in his presence, as the world is around me. And and I go, and I it's almost like meditation, or, or but godly meditation, looking at God's word and be calm. I remember one student telling me when she was seeing this, she said, oh, I'm, I'm too busy in my mind. I talk too much. And the Lord is telling me to be silent in his presence. So this is the typical answers that we get when we hear the word be still and know that I'm God. And and then what I'll say is that, okay, so this is what you have learned. You have been taught this. That's your gospel. 
That's your teaching. Now let's go to Psalm 46. And I don't use I hard I don't use any Hebrew or Greek. We just use an English Bible. And then we go through it verse by verse. And what we find in Psalm 46 is that there are two worlds. One is the nations that are in uproar, and one is the earth that is going up and down through earthquakes and floods and all that. So there's a the earth is there in trembling and the wars are raging in the world. And in the middle, in the beginning, we see that the people of God are actually in a fortress. They are actually in God's safety. They're in the middle. The Lord is our fortress. He is around us. And the war, the war, there's war happening and the earth is trembling. But I am in the city of the Lord. There's a stream and my, my heart is glad. So we, the people of God, are safe. So we are already still. We are already at peace. And and then we look at the world around us, but we are protected. We are in God's presence. Mm. So then uh, it says over there that, uh, then it says that see the desolations that the Lord has brought. That's one verse in Psalm 46. And we're like, what? What mean desolations that God has brought? He is doing desolations. And then the verse goes on to say that he makes war cease. He breaks the bow. He shatters the shield. He burns the uh, something like that. Uh, basically, God destroys war. It uses this violent language of destruction of the warring parties. Uh, and and it's that it's where God shows His power over the chaos of the world, and in that process He destroys destruction. So that's where the psalm goes. And then it says, uh, "The Lord," it says, "The Lord spoke, and the earth uh, is something like that." It's basically, the Lord speaks, and this destruction happens. Mm. So what is it that the Lord speaks? And then we see, be still and know that I am God. So what we find is that the Lord has is speaking to the world, to the to the warring nations, to the uh, to the land and to the sea and to this to the earthquakes, and He's telling them, be still. He's breaking war. And we are already still. We are already in God's presence enjoying it. But we see the Lord of power showing his sovereignty over the nations by telling the world be still. And the world becomes calm. The world becomes a place of peace. Now, when I say this, I, I basically say that, look, we usually think about ourselves. We usually think about, oh, what is the Lord telling me? The Lord is talking to me. And so that is our culture, our internal culture, where we think that the Lord is trying to tell me to be still. But actually, the Lord is trying to say that, look, you are already in my presence. You're already with me. Now I'm telling the world around you to be still. That is the moment, reason for your faith. Not, mm -hmm. uh, not simply you be still and you be calm and then things will be okay. Don't worry, you're already with me. You're already safe, but the world around you is going to get calm. The world around you is going to be in control. Now, I mean, that's just one small example because we go further in the Bible study and show how Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. And then he says, be quiet, be still uh, to, the, to the sea and the sea becomes calm. And the disciples get scared when Jesus does that. Why? Because of Psalm 46. Because only God can make the earth still. Only God can make the sea still. So we see that 
it's actually a, a recognition of who God is, that God is that powerful. It's not about me, myself. Mm -hmm. So in our culture, especially our current culture, modern culture, we focus a lot about ourselves, mm -hmm. me, my psychology, what is God telling me? But we have to see what is God doing? What is God doing in the world? How is he involved in the world? And God's acts in the world become a motivation for us and even a confidence for us to go out mm -hmm. and to speak or to go out in the boat or venture out because we know that the Lord is with us. Mm. So rather than this whole internal, oh me, oh Lord, help me, oh help me to be calm. Lord, thank you that I'm already calm in you. I'm already protected by you. Help me to go into the world where you've already gone ahead and leveled it. You've already gone ahead and made it ready or you've already gone ahead and shown your control and authority over it. And I want to join that process. Mm. That that is one shift where I uh, where I show them that somehow we tend to be internal, but we need to be a bit more external with the strength of the Lord. Mm. That that's just one small example. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's really helpful. Um, yeah, like you said, maybe that you know the the cultural element of you know psychological psychologizing a lot of things and and individualizing so many things in our modern culture uh, certainly reads you know affects how we read the Bible. Um, I assume, you know, in that time there was, there was war and there was enemies and, you know, chaos and which we don't normally experience in our, uh, you know, modern lives today, at least where I am. So yeah, very, very helpful. Thank you for that. So our time is quickly coming to an end, but just, just really quickly, a couple more questions, uh, before we wrap up. Um, so in terms of engaging the culture, you know, um, I want to ask you, our, our, our Delhi School of Theology students, you know, we have a lot of lay people. In fact, the majority of our students are lay people, but we also do have a lot of pastors and others in, in other kinds of full-time ministry. Um, how, can you just talk just very briefly about how uh, the average lay person, quote-unquote lay person, Christian, uh, maybe working in a corporate job and, and so on, uh, how can they kind of move towards engagement with the culture and, you know, in, in terms of living out this sort of vision very practically uh, that you're talking about? And then on the pastoral side, like myself or other people like me in full-time ministry, uh, how, how do you think that we as, as uh, again, as pastors and people in full-time ministry can engage culture? Do you know, just some, any, any kind of practical thoughts on uh, how we can do that a little bit better, a little bit more wisely? Yeah. So what uh, this is, this is actually the final assignment for the Delhi School of Theology students where I asked them to engage. And I asked them to identify one problem, one simple problem around their context. It could be in their colony, it could be it could be in the world, in their jobs, or it could be in the church. If it is in their church, then I say do the rethinking model where you're challenging the church. But let's say you're not using the rethinking model and you wanted to use the CT1, the contextualization model. I'll tell them to identify some simple thing that is going around them, very practical thing, and see whether you can address it in a godly biblical way. So one example would be, uh, I one student basically said there's a lot of garbage around where we are and this tendency of people to throw garbage around us. So the culture there is a very dirty uh, living with filth and my house is clean, but outside the road is dirty. That's not my problem. That's the culture. So we said, okay, identify these kind of problems, identify these kind of cultural problems and then present a biblical view of why that is wrong why it is wrong to live in 
that dirt? Why is it wrong to clean your house and take the garbage bag and throw it out in the street? Why is that wrong biblically? It, it You may not like it, but what is wrong about it? And so then you can, they can use creation or God wants us to take care of the world or whatever logic that they want to use where, where the world is ours and it's ours, it's our stewardship. We need to be stewards of it. So we take care of the world. That, that they could use that biblical thing. And then finally give practical suggestions to their community and especially the church of how to help that area do garbage better, deal with mess better. So create a probably a clean drive or let's I myself go and clean something and I and I get other people in the community to join me where we become culture changers, where we become people who do that. And we've actually seen this happen in Many places, maybe in Delhi, but I've seen it in Bangalore where I am right now, where some people just gather together, they take garbage, they, they clear it out, and then they paint that area. They make it look really beautiful. And then what happens is when that place looks beautiful, people don't feel like throwing the garbage there because it's it's mm. like a beautified pla uh, place. And that's one way people are trying to... Uh, be involved. So that way, what I do is I try to encourage the students to say, how can the church be involved in the local cultures around you? Mm. Now, the other one, the CT2, which is the rethinking, that, that's a little heavy. Like That's a little tougher, where we find culture has slipped into us. So one student addressed dowry, where Christians are uh, expecting uh, uh, Christians to give dowry, or there's a preference of uh, caste sometimes where in marriage they will never give to a lower caste and that should never happen so here is challenging our theology our biblical thinking and we'll say that look we must not allow caste politics or dowry or these kind of things to come into the church so those kind of ways of where do we need to change where has cultures come in so much in our lives that we need to rethink and we need to do better as a church so that's on one side or the other one is the practical ways around us and how can the church engage. So that's what I usually do, help, them the, help the students to think, choose where do you want to address and then go that way. Try to, don't be mean about your church, don't be mean about society, but see how you can positively understand and engage with the world around you or your church from a biblical framework. That's roughly what we do. Mm. Yeah, that's very helpful. I'm just thinking about the, the garbage around my neighborhood here <laughs> and what I should be doing about it that, yeah, after that example. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. So um, just one last question. We'll just slip this in, even though our time is up. Uh, again, a little bit more personal, uh, just to see how you think about things and approach things and what we can learn from that. So the question is this, how does your theology influence how you engage with movies? So, uh, you know, that could be uh, how much you watch, perhaps, you know, that could be uh, how you use movies to learn about culture, how you decide maybe what to watch or what not to watch, or, or just anything that comes to mind when I ask that question. How does your theology engage how you, or sorry, influence how you engage with, with movies? So, I mean, like the best example I could give uh, is that, okay, so because I come from a very movie background. So for us, we were not so censored. We could watch a lot more than maybe other people can do. And I was very, I'm very grateful to my parents for allowing, giving me that freedom. But I know that other people don't have that freedom. But many years ago, I, uh, I was in our church. And the youth of our church were gathering in a corner and going, da, da, da. they were talking, 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 talking something about it. And they were so silent and they didn't want anybody else to hear. And 
I, I was the youth, uh, I was the uh, like the Bible study leader for them at that time. So I was wondering what they were talking about. So I just like walked past just to hear what they were saying. And what they were doing was, have you seen the latest episode of Game of Thrones? And, uh, and, uh, but they didn't want it to be said in the church. They didn't want us to know, us adults to know that they were watching Game of Thrones. And the thing is that I had only just seen Game of Thrones. Like I hadn't ever seen Game of Thrones. But just though that time, suddenly I said, okay, let's just watch it. And I watched the entire like six seasons of Game of Thrones all in like three, four days. And that yes, that's wrong. Do not do that. <laughs> but but I, I just, I, I for me, I just went through the whole thing and I got this whole Game of Thrones. Okay, this is what Game of Thrones is about. And immediately within the next week or so, I heard my own youth members talking about Game of Thrones and now I knew something about it. Mm. So what I did with them was I said, oh, you're waiting for a new episode. Oh, even I am and all that. So I said, you, uncle, you watch Game of Thrones. I said, yeah, I watch. I said, but are we allowed to watch Game of Thrones? And that they wanted legitimacy. So then I said, what do you think? What do you feel uh, whether you should be watching? They'll say that, no, I really like it and it's really good, but I know there are some scenes that I should not be watching and all that. I said, yeah, I guess that's what it is. I'm, I'm glad that you are making a decision on what is right and what is wrong as you're watching. But in the sense that I don't want to tell you, you should watch or you should not watch. But as you watch, if you watch, be careful of how you watch. But it became an opportunity to talk to our youth and uh, how we are, how Game of Thrones, what is this, to the extent that when we finally had our youth program, we usually have once a year a youth program where we invite youth from other churches to join or people, even non-Christian youth to join us. We had a youth theme called Game of Thrones, uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, the game of throne means the where God, where we are all trying to go towards God's throne rather than the fight against to rule the throne. But there is one throne where God is the ruler and how do we get to that? And so there was whole how we play games and yet we move towards God's throne. And this became a, a way of engaging with game of thrones, the idea, but bringing it more to a way that we could understand it as Christians, but also bring it to as a medium to explain the gospel to other people. Mm. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, it was, it's not like as if we were successful or not. That's not the point. But I'm just giving you one example where uh, I don't want to be a sensor board to tell people, oh, you should watch this and you should not watch this. I think many of us grow with different traditions. Some of us should not watch anything because we are not capable of watching that. Some people can watch things and they are okay. They can, they have self-regulations. But I would say that in everything that we do, we must be careful that are we affected in a way that it destroys us or limits us? Or are we using this way as a way of you reaching the gospel to others? I think these two things we must be careful about. Can this help me understand somebody else so I can take the gospel to them? Or is this destroying me in a way that I'm not realizing? I think those kind of internal mechanisms we need. And it'll be nice to do it as a church where somebody is saying, okay, what are you watching? Why are you watching it? Is it okay? Are you? Is your faith intact? Are you, are you strong? Or is this an opportunity for us to take the gospel to others? I think I'm just putting a layer as we think about what we watch, rather than a rule that we should or should not watch, to just be careful to be thinking about what we watch so that it doesn't negatively influence us, or but more positively becomes a means of engaging with the world. Okay, great. So there's so much more that we can explore, but our time is up and we really, really appreciate you, uh, Nigel, for taking the time and, and just helping uh, one, our, our DST students to just be really thoughtful about the Bible and how we do things, uh, even as a church or as Christians, and also as how we engage 
And just to be a little bit more, you know, keep our eyes open, keep ourselves open and um, yeah, just really be conscious of what we're doing, why we're doing it. And is, is this what uh, the Bible says? This is what God wants and, and all those things. So, and we really appreciate you uh, helping our wider audience that's going to be listening to this podcast also to think uh, through some of these things. And so thank you again for joining us, uh, Nigel, and thank you to all of our listeners uh, for listening as well. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.